Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. A lot of stuff that I want to get into today. I'm going to be talking about a brand new Quiet Place spinoff that was announced. A Bloodshot sequel is in the works. More details have come out in light of the Depp exit from Fantastic Beasts. A first look at Happiest Seasons, one of the new holiday films coming out, and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to get into is probably the big story of today that came out this morning from Entertainment Weekly, and that is really the first info dump and first other well yeah really the first info dump for the first edition of phase four in the mcu and the first television show in the marvel cinematic universe from marvel studios wandavision we got a trailer during the emmys in september that kind of showed us a first look of what this television show was going to be it stars elizabeth olsen and paul bettany reprising their roles that made them famous playing scarlet witch and vision from the avengers films And it seemed like when it was announced in 2019 during San Diego Comic-Con that this was going to have a heavy influence on a lot of sitcoms and it was going to infuse that genre alongside the epic scope of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And from seeing the first trailer, it looked like that's exactly where they were going. You saw a black and white that was very reminiscent of 50s sitcom. It definitely had tones of 70s, Brady Bunch, 90s family sitcoms and with the infusion of at the very end of what looked like to be a modern version of what we expect from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is exactly what it seems like we're going to be getting. As in this Entertainment Weekly article, again, we got a whole big dump of kind of what the story is going to be, the inspirations behind this Marvel television show, and what is now officially going to be the first project of Phase 4 after Black Widow, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Eternals were postponed from this year to 2021 due to the coronavirus. And I think if you wanted something crazy, if you wanted something kooky, this is definitely a ambitious project that Marvel Studios has put to date. And it seems like from the details, that is exactly what they have done. The showrunner for this television show, this miniseries, is going to be Jacques Sheffer, who is synonymous with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's not somebody that a lot of people are going to know, but from his resume, he's worked on Black Widow along with Captain Marvel, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit, how that Captain Marvel connection is seems like it's going to have a heavy influence and a direct connection to this WandaVision show. And uh, and according to the synopsis, to the logline, it's very non-spoilery, very basic, but WandaVision takes place after Avengers Endgame and showcases Wanda and Vision in this married life in this town called Westview. So in the trailer that we saw, it seemed like Wanda was and Vision were in this house getting accustomed to a married life, and it seems like it's in this very suburban area of of west town or, or westview actually so we got kind of again a very basic information about the plot of where this is going but we got a lot more expansive details of again the influences and also the format of the show specifically that's going to be a six hour series now that could lead to a lot of different questions of is it going to be half hour episodes is it going to be 40 minute episodes there wasn't exactly a format for what that could happen 
as we've seen with The Mandalorian, especially in the first season, a lot of the episodes were half hour, 20 minute episodes at one point, but towards the end of the first season, it became more 40, 48 minute episodes. And to start off season two, we've gotten a basically an hour long episode to, for the season premiere last week, or two weeks ago rather, and this past weekend, we got a 40 to 48 minute episode. So whether that trend continues in the second season of The Mandalorian remains to be seen, but there could be some questions coming up about what exactly Marvel Studios is gonna do with the, the format of these episodes, if they're gonna be broken up into actual six hour episodes, or if it's gonna be maybe the first three episodes or, or half an hour, and then we get into maybe the remaining, maybe three or four episodes that are hour long maybe. So that is something that could potentially happen as well. But we also got the introduction of Katherine Hahn's new character in which she's a newcomer as well. We didn't have any idea of really who she was playing, but according to the article, she's gonna be playing the character Agnes, who just by basic description, and this was announced at D23 when Kevin Feige gave some more information last year, that Agnes was kind of going to be the noisy neighbor that if you watch a lot of classic sitcoms, there's always the the secondary characters that come along and they are kind of these, I don't want to really say nuances, but they're this kind of this hamper to the characters that they have these problems that they have to solve, but they always have these other characters that are along for the ride with them. And that could be what Agnes's character is really and, and really does. And then, of course, we have Tanya Parrish, who is going to play an adult Monica Rambeau. And if that name sounds familiar, that goes back to what I was talking about with the Captain Marvel connection, in which she is going to be playing an adult Monica Rambeau, who was featured as a child in Captain Marvel, which took place in the 90s. So maybe Monica Rambeau is going to be playing a secret agent of sorts. And again, it's not really kind of revealed of how she fits into this, because I guess that is going to kind of be the twist of why are all these sitcom situations happening? How is Wanda doing this? How is Vision still alive? So I think she kind of factors into that big twist that probably comes halfway through the series. And it really kind of talks about Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. And I think when... The great thing about these Disney Plus shows is the fact that a lot of them are going to really kind of shine a spot on a lot of the supporting characters from the MCU. So again, Wanda and Vision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You're also going to be having newcomers or Hawkeye rather and Loki. And we're going to get newcomers like Miss Marvel and Moon Knight and She-Hulk. So to kind of have the first one be about WandaVision and or Wanda and Vision, it I think it's really kind of cool to showcase these characters that have big presence in the comic books and to kind of give them basically six hours to really develop as characters once again, I think is going to be interesting. And for Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, they get to do just that. And going through the article, they talk about how this is probably one of the the greatest experiences that they've ever had and how the, the writing was incredible and how they were really kind of able to dig deep into their characters and, and find new aspects about them that they didn't realize before. And in the article, one of the very interesting things about it was the fact that Paul Bettany says that when he was pitched the idea for WandaVision, he thought he was going into the offices of Kevin Feige to leave the MCU and that after what happened to his character in Avengers Infinity War, 
that was going to be it. And the basically the decade plus that Paul Bettany has been a part of the MCU, because before he played Vision, he was basically voicing over the character of Jarvis for a large part of the Iron Man films or all the Iron Man films and the first Avengers film. So he's been around this franchise for a long, long time, really since its inception. And he thought that was going to be the end. But in but overall, Kevin Feige offered him the, the, the or pitched him rather the idea of this television show. And it seemed like he was all in. And for Elizabeth Olsen, this is kind of deja vu to her because in the article, she says that even though she didn't work on any sitcoms, she got that experience because of the Olsen twins, Mary-Kate and, and Ashley, where basically she would be on set as a little girl and kind of see them working when they were doing Fuller House. So for Elizabeth Olsen, this is kind of a homecoming for her in a sense, and she's getting her sitcom reps in in a different type of way and kind of in a bigger way than I'm sure both Olsen twins ever really had. And that kind of goes into the influences that WandaVision is really kind of taking from. And one of the great things about Marvel, I think, throughout the years and how the reason they've had the sustained success they have had for 23 movies, 11 plus years now in the business since really becoming the biggest franchise in the world at this particular moment in time, the, the really the key thing for that is they were, they've been able to diversify the genres that they've been in and keep everything fresh. Every every film feels like its own adventure. It feels like its own film, even though it's connected with this in the, within this entire cinematic universe. The one I always go to, of course, is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, where you have really kind of a espionage spy thriller in the vein of a uh, born or an all the president's men or uh, a thor ragnarok and a guardians where it's a space opera adventure or uh, a black panther and uh, an ant-man which is kind of taking from the the heist genre a little bit so you have all these different solo films that keep everything fresh and different and interesting that you bring in new people you keep people that have been a part of the mcu for a long time and the question really is how can you keep doing what you're doing and how are you going to bring that to the television world? And it seems like, at least for this television show, Marvel has an idea for what they want to do. And that is really a love letter to the golden age or really the first golden age of television since we're really in a, a brand new age of television with streaming services like Disney+. Plus and Netflix and HBO Max, but to really kind of give a, a love letter to that age of television with, again, like the 50s and the 90s and the 70s, and they particularly go into the premiere episode, which seems like is going to take place for a majority of what the, the footage that we saw from that first trailer is from that first episode, because they talked about how it is going to kind of take dividends from 50 sitcoms, specifically shows like the Dick Van Dyke show and how they're going to kind of incorporate black and white with the actual fundamentals of how you shot sitcoms in the actual 50s and kind of the behind the scenes of what they actually utilized to make especially that first episode of WandaVision I think was incredible and and one of the reasons why I love talking about film and television is the creative aspect behind the scenes and to hear what they did is honestly just insane it, it really is mind-blowing with what they were able to do and, and this is specifically what they they really did is that 
crew members came in to set in 50 Eras clothing and used period lenses and lighting to capture that dreamy vintage glow. The special effects team employed wires and camera tricks straight from Bewitched or I Dream of Jenny, making wine bottles appear to pour on their own and household applications zoom about like magic. And when Vision's familiar maroon skin didn't look quite right in grayscale, the makeup artist painted Bettany blue instead. And again, that's just... It's remarkable that that Marvel actually went out of their way to make sure everything felt as authentic as possible. And one of the things that I forgot to mention in that aspect was that they also had a live studio audience for that particular episode. And in the article, they joke how they all had to sign NDA agreements because they're watching what's happening unfold. And I'm sure there are spoilers that go on and they don't want a lot of details to get out before the show premieres. So I just think the fact that they were actually did that, they went out of their way to make it feel as authentic as possible. And the fact that they actually kind of reverted in their psyche to implore old style techniques for how they were probably went about actually shooting and doing visual effects of actually kind of creating these puppet-like qualities of having things float in the air while attaching string to it and making it seem like it was floating. That That's all stuff that is so, so cool. And personally for me, I think that's remarkable in the fact that I said this in a tweet. I'm somebody who is a huge Dick Van Dyke fan. I'm a fan of old time sitcoms. And for them to kind of take this avenue and this approach is is remarkable and kind of brings me back and throws me back to that era of, of I didn't live in that era, but of just watching that and feeling that way as a kid watching these sitcoms was is just remarkable. And to even keep adding to the level of authenticity that they wanted to go with, the writer and director of the show actually went ahead to study sitcoms and uh, in creating the show and actually went about watching sitcoms and showcasing how they created sitcoms on set, multi-can sitcoms for how they were actually able to implore all these things. And they actually went in to talk to, to, to Dick Van Dyke. And this is actually an excerpt from the article saying, to prep for the show's decade-hopping tone, Shackman, who is a director and Schaefer, enrolled in sitcom school, immersing themselves in the trappings and styles of all things classic comedy. When possible, they even went straight to the source. Last summer during Disney's D23 Expo, Shackman and Feige invited Dick Van Dyke to lunch at Disneyland, peppering him with questions about his five-season run as Rob Petrie from the Dick Van Dyke Show. And I just think that's incredible. That's that's actually getting the information from the source itself instead of actually reading the history books and watching the actual shows and the actual footage, hearing from somebody who was still a part of that and is, thank God, still alive to this day so you can get information and try to make it, again, as realistic as possible and not waver from anything that would make it seem as inauthentic. And I think, again, that just goes to show how serious Marvel wants to be and kind of doing something different and something kooky and crazy. And I think that's why a lot of people are going to be anticipating WandaVision, not just because it's going to be the first thing that Marvel has put out since the Spider-Man Far From Home in, in July. And it's been almost a year and a half since we've gotten Marvel material, but I think it's it's going to be 
a refreshing pace to see something new and original and different. And even though we have these characters that we know from previous Marvel installments in the MCU, it's going to feel fresh and new. And I think that's what we need to see happen in a new iteration of, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward is seeing more plot and character development in these supporting characters and how they can evolve into the films and future iterations of the MCU moving forward. And also what kind of new storylines can you come up with? And this, honestly, for people that might have been worried and wondering what else can Marvel accomplish after it seemed like they hit the highest accomplishment possible with Avengers Endgame, honestly, I think in, in in a year that has had a lot of bad stuff happened to a lot of people with COVID and and things haven't gone people's ways and we haven't been able to get a lot of interesting things that we wanted to get and everything's just been kind of out of sorts. People are always looking for silver lining and I, and I think when we look at Marvel and questions that we had for it, I think a silver lining that we could have for things that were delayed until later on, if we wanted something new, different, refreshing, having WandaVision be that first thing I think is going to be very, very interesting and intriguing. And even though we don't have a release date yet for WandaVision, even though they said sometime in the winter, which makes me think that we could get it probably by the end of December, since I'm sure Disney Plus and Disney want to focus on one major show at a time. So they have Mandalorian out right now. That's in the midst of its run right now. So that has about about six episodes still remaining. So probably once that finishes up by the end or middle of December, the next week or the following weekend, by New Year's Eve, potentially, the, 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 the beginning of New Year's Eve, that week, we could potentially have the first episode of WandaVision come out or it comes out in January sometime in, in the, the week or so after New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we get that weekend, we could potentially get WandaVision. So I think the tail end of December, beginning of January is when we'll get WandaVision because it says in the wintertime and that doesn't just mean December or around the holidays. That that usually alludes to it could be December, January, February. And again, if I had to guess, it'll probably be around January. And before I wrap up this topic of WandaVision, there was a whole lot of stuff that came from the master himself, Kevin Feige. So I have to read off a bunch of stuff that he was saying about kind of of idolizing what he wanted to do with WandaVision. He was one of the first people that kind of came up with what he wanted to do with this show and gave it to to people to actually craft. And this is what he had to say about the idea of incorporating these television shows into this overall project. And he had to say, it really energized everyone creatively at the studio. The notion that we could play in a new medium and throw the rules out the window in terms of structure and format. I would get ready for the day and watch an old sitcom because I couldn't take the news anymore, he admits. Getting ready to go to set over the last few years, I kept thinking of how influential these programs were on our society and on myself and how I certainly I was using it as an escape from reality where things could be tied up in a nice bow in 30 minutes. And he goes on to actually talk about how Again, because of the continuity issues that I think myself and a lot of people were asking about since Black Widow, Eternals, and even Falcon and the Winter Soldier were kind of the first projects that would have been in Phase 4. Now that that's kind of been reworked and rearranged, people are asking and probably wondering, 
Well, if all these things are being moved around from where they used to be and you're not kind of just pushing everything along, does that mean continuity really matters? And this is what Kevin Feige had to say specifically about WandaVision and how it it really has an impact going forward with Phase 4 in the future of the MCU and also how it they are working about actually keeping things going for Phase 4. If you haven't seen any of them and just want to step into this weird thing because you love the Dick Van Dyke show, it's going to work, Feige said. But if you've been tracking the 23 movies we've made and following along the stories into Phase 4, there will be a wealth of rewards waiting for you as it all unfolds. And also in the article, before I forget it, is that they also did reiterate and kind of reconfirm that WandaVision does directly tie into Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which Elizabeth Olsen at Comic-Con last year was confirmed to be a co-star along with Benedict Cumberbatch. So I think Marvel has kind of reworked the slate a little bit where Phase 4 does have a recurring storyline, it seems like, overall, but everything that they have reworked, rearranged isn't going to give away anything if we haven't seen Black Widow yet, if we haven't seen Eternals yet, if we haven't seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier yet, or Spider-Man 3, or any of these Phase 4 titles that we have coming out. it seems like they're all they're reworking it enough that okay, this can really be the first official part of Phase Four, and then everything else will fall into place in its own way. So, I have no doubt that Marvel knows what they're doing. As I have again, ever since Endgame and and even before that, I I just go with whatever Marvel does, whatever Kevin Feige deems necessary, and just kind of go with the flow at this particular moment in time. And I think again with the situation with COVID right now. I think they have an idea for where they want to go. They filmed a lot of, they have been filming projects. Even in the article, they also talked about how they had to go back in October to, to kind of finish, put on the finishing touches of the show before they go to final print and put it in the can for everybody to see. But I think this is going to be an interesting show. I think, again, for something that is completely outside the box, I think this is a great way to go and showcase that Marvel isn't afraid to do different things. And again, to kind of pay homage to television, this is a great way of doing that. A television show inside a television show. And I think a lot of people are going to have questions for what the plot is. How are they in this kind of situation where they're playing alongside these sitcoms? Is it the fact that maybe Wanda is kind of fabricating this whole thing where she is kind of reclusive right now? She longs to have vision again, and this is the the image that she wants to have. But something happens where she just doesn't quite get to that, which could potentially lead to the multiverse. And does the multiverse have some kind of faction in this show that ties into Doctor Strange and what seems to indicate that the multiverse is going to have a big presence, not just in Phase 4, but in the the MCU moving forward from here on out. So a lot of interesting answers, I think, that were given in these details, a lot of interesting information that was given to us in this article. I highly recommend it. I think if you're trying to avoid spoilers, I don't think this gives anything away I definitely think it gives an insight to what the mindset was for creating the show. And I think when you go to watch it, for all the craziness that seems like it's going to ensue in that show, you're going to want to go back and kind of be like, well, how come they went this way? Or why did they do this? How did they do this? 
I think you want to read this Entertainment Weekly article to kind of see what their process was in creating this show. And I highly, that's why I highly recommend checking this article out. You won't find any spoilers. Again, they have a, a, a line or two of a synopsis. Again, just kind of saying it takes place after Endgame and where this is located and, and what WandaVision, uh, oh, I keep saying the two of them together, but what Wanda and Vision are doing together and what they're really up to. So that's all it really gives away. It doesn't give away any kind of spoilers of what will happen, who's involved, what Monica Rambeau is doing. It doesn't give any of that away and just goes into the filmmaking process and the development process of creating a show like this and the homage it pays to one of the great eras of television and multiple decades of television between the 50s all the way to the 90s. So a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting episodes, interesting talks that are going to be had when this finally comes out. And I think for everyone that is wondering for Disney+, Plus, well, when are they going to get the, the Star Wars shows out, the, the Marvel shows out, all the stuff that we were promised when Disney+, Plus was first announced and advertised, I think this, the end of this year into next year, we're going to finally start to see that come about with Mandalorian Season 2 now in full swing, with WandaVision coming out, with Falcon and the Winter Soldier potentially right behind it. All this stuff is slowly going to start coming out, and it's going to snowball, and we're going to really kind of see the potential of what Disney Plus has to offer. So what do you guys think about these details with WandaVision? Let me know what you think down below in the comments section, and leave your thoughts below. And sticking to the era and sticking to the topic of superhero films, but moving over to the DC universe, we had an announcement from James Gunn that Peacemaker is set to shoot in the first quarter of 2021. It was announced a few months ago by Warner Media that HBO Max would be putting out a limited series show on the John Cena character from the much anticipated 2021 release of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And it sounds like he's going to be shooting from January to I think it was around April or May that he's going to be shooting Peacemaker. So it's going to be a few months of a process. He's directing a few of the episodes, James Gunn. He's a main force behind it. He wanted this character involved in The Suicide Squad and whether he has a big role or not in the film, I think it shows, the, again, the confidence that Warner Media and HBO Max and James Gunn have in the fact that people will gravitate towards Peacemaker in the film. So I, I think that is something to look forward to. And also involved in the announcement was the fact that in the news, with the Suicide Squad coming out, people are now wondering, now that James Gunn is back as director of Guardian 3, when is he going to be doing it? Because he, he's heavily involved in DC right now. When is he going to get to Guardians of the Galaxy 3? People are wondering about that. And it sounds like once he's all done with the Suicide Squad and this Peacemaker show, the next project he has on his slate is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I think is going to excite a whole lot of people, including myself, who are looking forward to the next installment, especially after the events of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, for where the Guardians go from those films and those events. So it's going to be exciting. I'm really interested to see where James Gunn goes with all the projects that he's involved with. And I think for, for John Cena, this is really big for him as well in the fact that we always, or I always thought of him as somebody who was trying to mimic what The Rock did. And he definitely seems like he's going on that trajectory path. He's going to be in the new Fast and Furious movie. He's in a superhero movie right now, and he's going to get his own spinoff show. So I don't know if all due respect to John Cena, he has the charisma and the movie star-like quality that The Rock exudes, 
However, I do think he has the chops to be in the business and be a name and be in these big projects. And it seems like, again, if if HBO Max, if the first show that they're doing is Peacemaker, again, they must have real confidence in John Cena's performance and the fact that people will gravitate towards that performance in the movie and they're going to want more. Whether he lives or dies in the, in the movie, I think they're going to want him to be a part of that and they're going to want more and people are going to want more and so they're getting ahead of it before the movie comes out as of right now in august of 2021 what do you guys think about this news let me know and leave your thoughts below i'd really like to know what you guys think and moving on to a not so surprising announcement that came out yesterday and it has been confirmed that there will be a fourth installment in what I'm calling the Has Fallen franchise. We've had Olympus Has Fallen, London Has Fallen, Angel Has Fallen, and now we're going to have Knight Has Fallen. It's going to see Gerard Butler return to his role as Mike Banning in this franchise. Rick Romain Wow, who directed the last film, Angels Has Fallen, last year, is returning for this fourth installment. Millennium Pictures is returning to produce the film. And this is kind of one of those situations where I think a film that was just intended to be a solo movie has kind of turned into a little engine that could into a franchise that people enjoy. And I'm one of those people. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of the second film, London Has Fallen, but the first film I thought is a very underrated action film. I thought Antoine Fuqua did a very good job. Uh, I thought Gerard Butler was a kind of a really good Bruce Willis-like character of kind of this one-man machine that has to kind of go through the White House and, and, and kick butt with all these bad guys. And Angel Has Fallen, I thought, what was kind of a good man-on-the-run, fugitive type of film. Again, nothing new, nothing surprising, but I think for people that are looking for throw back action films this franchise has kind of offered that in the way and for Gerard Butler who again isn't a major movie star but he's a big name that people know and they'll go see his some of his movies this is one that people are becoming synonymous with him in this part I think people want to go back and the box office for Angel has fallen it didn't blow anybody's socks off however it didn't make enough money with the budget that it was produced with, that it was considered a box office success. So I think people want more of this character. They want more of this franchise. I'm a part of that. And overall, the films have made a collective $520 million worldwide. And again, when you consider the budget that these projects are made with, the max I think the most that it might be made with is maybe 30 plus million at most, which might have been the last movie. So again, when you count that for over half a billion dollars with the three films overall, that's a good run for this franchise. And it's going to keep on going until it makes, if it makes $5 million at the box office and had a budget of 20, 30 million dollars and it's a bomb, then they might stop making the movies if people, if it shows that people are interested. But that's not what the numbers are showing. It's showing that people are interested. I mean, I'm one of those people, again, 520 million people worldwide agree with me on that sentiment. And we're going to get more of these. So I don't know the exact plot for what this film is going to be. I really don't know how many times you could I mean, I, you could have multiple storylines and traditional storylines of a guy kicking terror's butt, but what kind of plot line is there really going to be? So I'm wondering where they go with this character, where they go with this franchise from here. And Night Has Fallen is, is a very interesting 
interesting choice for a title. So I wonder what it's going to involve. Olympus has fallen. That's a codename for the White House. That makes sense. London has fallen. The actual city was under siege. And Angel has fallen is the actual is the actual guardian angel, which is Mike Banning, who was a Secret Service agent. So they all the titles made sense. So I wonder what night really kind of signals. So it's going to be interesting to see what where this franchise goes from here. But I'm interested in it. I'm all for it. I will see it wherever it is at any theater whenever it comes out. What do you guys think about the news of a fourth installment in, again, what I call the Has Fallen franchise? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts in the comment section. And then moving on to another film that has been greenlit in a universe, and that is a Quiet Place spinoff has officially been in the works, which was confirmed by Deadline Hollywood yesterday. And it's bringing back one person for the creative team, but is seeing kind of a different team taking this film to the to the shop and it seems like Jeff Nicholas is going to be writing and directing this spin-off film in what is being labeled the quiet or the the quiet place universe and John Krasinski won't be coming to produce this film or write it but or I should say he's not going to come back to direct it he's not going to come to write it but he will be producing the film and he is the one that came up with the inception for this idea and he's handing it off to Jeff Nicholas to execute there are no plot details for this film at this given moment in time just the fact that it is it it is in the works it is in the pre-production development right now and that's all the information that we have so far and i think this is a, a smart idea i think when you have these kind of post-apocalyptic franchises i think the best and smart thing to do is kind of expand the world we're seeing that right now specifically with the walking dead franchise where we're having multiple spinoffs we're having some movies a little later on there's multiple spinoff shows I think when you come to this world, people are really interested in it. And if the first film or television show does well, that implies potentially that people want to know more about this world than just with these characters. And I think with this Quiet Place spinoff, that's exactly what we can kind of work with and see what other people are dealing with in which they can't make any noise because these creatures are hypersensitive to hearing and if even the smallest twig snaps they'll find them right away and and devour them really so i think the fact that a quiet place made a, a boatload of money for a film that was a small indie hit at south by southwest in 2018 yeah 2018 or no, no yes 2018 it came out in the spring of 2018 and it was a it was a big hit it grossed 350 million dollars in 2018 and it had a, a sequel greenlit a quiet place part two which was supposed to come out in march before COVID hit literally the week of release date was when or no it was two weeks before really COVID really hit and when everything really kind of locked down was when the film was supposed to come out and release. So it was so close to hitting. They had the premiere. They had early reactions and reviews. And from the people that saw the film at those early screenings before it hit, they were getting some, the same positive reviews on the same level as that first film. So it seems like they haven't lost the mojo. The magic's still there. And you also have the secret weapon in Krasinski, who, again, isn't directing the film or writing it, but he came 
came up with the idea and he probably has an idea for all different types of characters and and, and instances in these worlds that he wants to give to other people because I'm sure for himself he just doesn't want to get stuck to one franchise for the rest of his life he's already done that a, a, a one one or two times already so he wants to kind of explore other options as a filmmaker as well and I can't blame him for that and I think to give it to Jeff Nichols is a really interesting idea because he's somebody that has dabbled in more of an indie sci-fi routine than kind of straight up horror he's done indie dramas as well with with mud and loving so I think he's a very intriguing director to to do this for and again when you think about A Quiet Place it started out as an indie film before it became this big blockbuster franchise now so I think for Jeff Nichols this is a really intriguing idea I'm interested to see where they expand this to and I wonder if A Quiet Place Part 2 will have any inception for where this franchise is going to go from here and if the storyline at the end of Part 2 will kind of help spin off this film this third film in the the universe with Jeff Nichols so I think this is a very intriguing idea. I think this is a smart idea. It makes a lot of sense. And I think this gives Paramount, who is the production, who is behind the making of this film, the production company, the studio, I think this gives them a, a franchise that they really, really need right now. And again, it's not a billion dollar franchise, but I think any franchise for them will do right now. And they think, think they have a really good one right now with A Quiet Place. What do you guys think about this spinoff that is in the works? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts below. And I'm going to move on now to one more film that I hear is in the works right now that is surprisingly, shockingly, is having a sequel greenlit, and that is for the Vin Diesel-led Bloodshot. This is a film that came out in March, and it literally came out, so the week before Quiet Place Part 2 was supposed to come out, Bloodshot came out along with The Hunt, and that went through kind of the box office reprieve of COVID-19 in the instance that nobody was really showing up. COVID was really starting to cause a lot of concern, and nobody really showed up at the box office. And once the pandemic really hit, Bloodshot went on VOD and eventually went on home video release for everybody to see there so they can make whatever money they possibly could in the situations that was going on at that time period. And it seems like it did well enough on VOD that it Valiant Entertainment and the the company below it, DMG, are greenlighting a sequel with Vin Diesel. And I mean, I, I was not a fan of the film. I did not like it. I thought, I think Vin Diesel, all due respect to him, I love Ms. Dom Toretto. He's not that good of an actor. All due respect to him. He's got the macho physique and he can be a cool action actor and can do action films. But I just, as him as another leading man in another film, it just doesn't work for me. I don't feel him in that kind of way. And I just wasn't a fan of the film. I thought the story was clunky and the, the twists were somewhat predictable. The action was cool. It, it wasn't a kind of, it was a CGI fest, but it didn't look like it was all out of place. So, I, I mean, I wasn't really a, a big fan of it. And for them to greenlight a sequel, again, it must have done some really good numbers in VOD sales if, if they're warranting a sequel. Because when it comes to the box office, at least, again, you can't really judge the box office because of 
the COVID-19 impl- implications that was really happening with this movie. And when you look at what was really happening with COVID-19, and, and the same thing happened with The Hunt as well, you can't really kind of go up against anything with this movie. So I think if, if they think they made enough money off of it with the numbers on, on video, then go for it. And I say good luck with it. And maybe once theaters are back and up and operational in some kind of way, you can really kind of see what the numbers are going to look like at the box office. And if people will go see it in a theater when they have to pay maybe a little bit more to see than they would on VOD. So the question is, what do you guys think about Bloodshot getting a sequel? Do you think it deserves a sequel? Do you think it made enough money off of VOD to warrant a sequel? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts below. And then moving on to some more details that are now coming out about Johnny Depp and his exit from Fantastic Beasts. I talked about it a lot yesterday on the Sam Bissell podcast, and literally as I was uploading this, the podcast yesterday, there was an article that came out from Hollywood Reporter and Variety more about more of the details regarding the exit of Johnny Depp and kind of when the decisions were made and, and the implications of him leaving the film and this franchise because he was playing a major character, essentially the main villain of this Fantastic Beast film series. And according to the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, the, the Warner Brother film chief, Toby Emmerich, who really kind of oversees the film division of Warner Brothers, he made the decision the day before the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp verdict came down, where it came out that he was what he was in the sun which which labeled him a wife beater they so he lost that case and the day before that case was determined they decided to pull the plug because Johnny Depp was going to keep on pursuing this he was going to keep going forth with this and they just couldn't defend him anymore and once it came out that in a sense he was guilty they they just couldn't have him on that anymore and so they needed to drop him and one of 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 his staunch reporters from a few years ago when this was all kind of coming about for johnny depp and he was cast as grindelwald in the fantastic beast films jk rowling was really kind of coming out defending him and the same thing with david yates and according to the reports jk rowling was one of the people that was on board with the decision and she didn't have any dispute with it whatsoever so that kind of speaks volumes to where they think this is at right now and one of the interesting aspects about this whole situation is that Johnny Depp apparently only filmed one scene in the middle of September and yet even just filming that one scene he still received his eight-figure salary for doing this film and that is because of a of a of a clause in his in his contract where it's a pay or it's a pay or play release and basically it means that in that in that clause you can either you still get paid your full rated salary for a star of his caliber because he was in major blockbusters beforehand and he basically he for his status as a star in that contract it is that even if it if he is fired or exits or is recast he still gets paid his full rate for that film so he get he still goes away with an eight-figure salary for just doing one scene and leaving so again not not a bad paycheck for Johnny Depp with everything going on in his life right now. 
And one of the things that I was talking about, I think a lot of people were wondering for who could get cast as as Grindelwald in the rest of this franchise. They were wondering Con Farrell, who kind of played Grindelwald in a way in disguise in the first Fantastic Beasts film. He could potentially come back for this one. But according to the reports, that is not going to be the case, not because Colin Farrell doesn't want to come back, but because Colin Farrell is is integrated in another major blockbuster film right now that is being filmed, and that is The Batman in the UK, where he plays Oswald Cobblepot the Penguin. So he is really fully integrated in that into right now, and since Fantastic Beasts is shooting right now, that is not possible at the moment in time, and since, according to Hollywood Reporter, that Johnny Depp's character, Grindelwald, Eddie Redmayne, who plays Newt Scaramander, who is the lead character, and same thing with Jude Law, who plays Albus Dumbledore, they apparently all share the same amount of screen time in this upcoming film, whereas really it was Eddie Redmayne and Johnny Depp and Jude Law were very, very minor supporting characters that only had a few scenes within the entire movie, but that doesn't seem to be the case with this one, so... For Colin Farrell, who is seems like he has a major role in this Batman film, it would be very hard for him to kind of pull off both at the same time. So it seems like they're going to be going in a different direction. But overall, I just think that it's this again, this isn't shocking. This isn't anything that I think a lot of people were, I think, surprised about that was actually going to come along. I think it's just a matter of when it actually did happen. And we'll see who they get. But again, I think the only surprising thing that came out of this whole thing was the fact that Johnny Depp filming one scene and still walked away with an eight-figure salary because of the clauses in his contract. I mean, hey, at least he got the eight million in the bank with everything going on. I'm sure he's really going to need it with everything that he is supposedly fighting right now in these court cases. What do you guys think about the news of Johnny Depp moving away from Fantastic Beasts and the details that came out about it? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I'm going to talk about today on this edition of the Sampus Up podcast is to leave it off with some holiday cheer in the form of a trending trailer that came out yesterday. And that is for the Hulu holiday film, Happiest Season. It is directed and written by Clea Duvall, who makes her directorial debut, who if you know the name and it sounds familiar, she was one of the main players on the hit sitcom show from HBO, Veep, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. So she is going behind the scenes for this film, and she has an incredibly stacked lineup for this movie. It stars Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, and Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek fame. And the synopsis for this film is basically a young woman plans to propose marriage to her girlfriend while attending her family's annual holiday party. At the party, she realizes her girlfriend hasn't come home or hasn't really come out to her conservative parents just yet. So that is the basic, basic synopsis for this film. And I heard about this film. I've seen pictures of it. Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis play the couple. And watching the trailer for it, I got to say, it put a smile on my face. It, it doesn't seem like it doesn't do anything outside the box other than really kind of being a landmark in terms of representation for the LGBTQ community of having a, a queer couple, a lesbian couple be the focus of a film. So in that terms, it's it's thinking outside the box and being something new and different. But in terms of the annual holiday tropes, it doesn't seem like it's doing anything new or different or outlandish, but 
I gotta say, I enjoyed that. And honestly, like, I'm a sucker for any kind of Hollywood comedy or a rom-com holiday films. I love this kind of stuff, especially, again, this time of year. You need that kind of stuff. And especially in a year that has been 2020, I think these films offer great distractions. And I think, again, it is great representation for different communities right now. And I love the chemistry between Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davids. It seems like they really kind of pull this off, this yin and, yin and yang, really, really well. And for Kristen Stewart, if you really know her personality, the character that she plays really fits to her strengths. So I think that I think that excites me a lot. And also, the person who can really steal this, and and I think could really kind of of uh, steal the spotlight is Dan Levy, who again is from Schitt's Creek, created Schitt's Creek with his father, and was the winner of multiple Emmys, record historic breaking Emmy wins for Schitt's Creek during this past Emmy season. And I think for Dan Levy, he just brings that great charisma as somebody who plays the the gay friend for Kristen Stewart and is always there trying to give her advice. And he just seems like he pulls it off really well. And, and every time he was on screen, I was laughing and smiling. So again, this just excites me. I think, again, it's going to be a nice getaway holiday treat for a lot of people. It's coming out on Thanksgiving Day on Hulu. So you don't have to go to the movies to see this. You don't have to go to the theaters to see this. You can experience it at home with your family. And I think it's going to bring about a lot of smiles on a lot of people's faces. Even though it has the same tropes as a lot of holiday films that we've seen, I think people want that kind of stuff around this time of year. So this excites me. I think it looks a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Again, for Clee Duvall, who this is her first time as a director, I think she, from the, the trailer, she does a really good job in the direction of it. The writing seems really, really good. The laughs seem good, which I think is important for a comedy like this. So we'll see how it all lands. But for a first trailer, I was impressed, and I'm actually looking forward to this film more than I was initially. It intrigued me, but it got me to the next level of really looking forward to this. So November 25th, happiest, happiest season, one that it looks like I'm going to hopefully recommend to you once I see the film. But a good start so far with this first trailer. But with that, guys, that is going to do it for this edition of the Sam Vassell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also make sure to, to check out these other awesome episodes and shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania podcast and midnight showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code Ambiguous. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B U S E L S A M U E L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.